Hi there. We recently had an amazing conversation with Pastor Keith P.K. Jenkins, and we wanted to share for this week the long-form interview featuring the theme of growth represented by the grapevine. We hope you enjoy. Cheers. So there's 39 cards in the Gratitude Blooming card deck. And Belinda has been intuitively really selecting the cards and themes with each of our guests. And so for you, she selected card number 33, the grapevine, representing the theme of growth. This will be really just a jumping off point for our conversation. So when you look at this card, and I encourage you to not even look at the prompt, just really looking at the art on the card, you know, the grapevine and the theme of growth, what comes up for you? It's kind of ironic because you couldn't have pulled a better card for where I live, what I'm experiencing, what I do day to day. That's forcing growth in my life professionally, personally, but When I look at the vine, I immediately think of the green space behind my house, which we actually have some grapes growing and vines growing. And the funny thing about that that plant system in our back property is that without the trellis, without the guidelines, it grows wherever it wants to grow. And so it has when I see the illustration here, the graphic, the first thing I think about is, yeah, you you see where it comes from. But there's nothing but space that's open space as to where it could go and how it would branch out and into new places. So it's the first thing that kind of struck my heart when I saw it. Now, as we sort of look at the prompt, what can happen when you dare to step outside your comfort zone? Can you be grateful for those opportunities to grow? What comes up for you? You know, immediately adventure. There's a sense, you know, within the confines, and I, I wanted to communicate it that way, within the confines of a comfort zone is all of the known. Um, there is no mystery. There is no sense of adventure. It is known. For lack of a better word, it becomes a, it becomes a comfort zone because it is known. There is no mystery, surprises, ambiguity. There is no chaos or confusion. It is known of us and we are, it provides because it's known, it creates a sense of security, which as human beings, we crave that sense of security. But, um, you know, like I know, there is no such thing as growth, exploration, innovation, any of those things that, you know, move the world forward, move us forward as human beings until we break out of said comfort zone into the unknown. And there's, uh, I, at least for me, there's a measure of insecurity. And fear about breaking out into what is the unknown. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I'm so delighted, teasing aside, to have you on the podcast. I mean, I think Belinda, I I first met Keith when he was a pastor uh, here in Los Angeles. He's now up in Oregon, back in Oregon. And what I learned from him is just how to say I love you to someone who wasn't a close family member and and to just say that to another man just say that 
in a full-hearted way. And I remember the first time he said it to me, I was like, I was like, right on, or you know, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't even do like a ditto or back at you. I was like, I didn't even know how to take it. And wow. now, like, I find myself every like I'm, I'm still probably a little more cautious than not, but like I'll say it to other people, and I'll catch myself by surprise now. And and so I maybe. Keith, if you would just talk a little bit about that place of love and, and maybe how did you grow into that? You know? Yeah. I, I've never heard you say that before. That's, that's interesting. I've never, you never disclosed that to me, but I think, you know, it's funny, you know, out of sometimes our misery in life, somebody said this once in related to ministry. That out of our misery sometimes flows our greatest fruitfulness in ministry. That the thing that was debilitating, hurtful, even traumatic in our lives can be a source. A lot of times you'll see nonprofits or different people pick up different ways to serve the world through the well on the backdrop and foundation of some pretty hurtful things in their life. I, I guess for me, Omar, I always desired and craved. Uh, the affection of my father and could never because of and I've had to do a lot of work to get to this point to make the statement that I'm going to make is I at this point I can say I understand what debilitated him but yet it did not um, take away the void that I lacked and quite frankly through the relationship of a friend of mine he challenged me to give to the world what I had always desired to get from my father. And, and that sent me, and what I, what I simply wanted was to be seen and loved by him. So fast forward into my life, I tried to give to other, to other human beings that which was most lacking in my life and most impactful, which is to be seen and to be loved. And so as I pass through the world, I try to, leave that mark on the relationships that I'm fortunate enough to engage in. So to hear you say that, it it authenticates sort of my heart's desire. So that I'm grateful that I came on to the podcast today for no other reason than to have heard that because that really enriches my soul, brother. Thank you. Keith, I love your way of talking about comfort and mystery <laughs> and it made me kind of ease into the unknown just a little bit more relaxed in my body just hearing you talk about it and I would love for you to describe a time in your life when you had to navigate that, th- that threshold of stepping out of your comfort zone and what did you gain from that? Because I hear, I'm hearing, you know, there's like, there's so many things that brought you to where you are and what you have to give into to the world. And I feel like part of that gift is also part of you having to navigate some challenging things or uncertain things. So I'd love to hear what in this moment feels alive in that journey to share. Oh my gosh. You know, thank you so much. Like, even as you say that, I have to admit that throughout my life, I've found 
that one challenge after another has brought me out of her comfort zone into another space. Even what Omar just mentioned, our meeting in the genesis of our relationship was in a ministry that we were fortunate enough to serve for a number of years in L.A. And then we had to move to Oregon, which culture shock and all of those things are present at way. But I think it got started for me. And what's most resonant right now for me is I was 16 and a half. My mom signed a waiver for me to join the delayed entry program of the United States Marine Corps. So I hadn't even graduated high school yet. So I was 16. I started school early. And so the first bit of, uh, of the first, you know, sort of quarter of my life I spent as a young person leaving Baltimore, going to Paris Island, South Carolina, going to training in California. And by the time I turned 17, the year that I turned 17 and right around Christmas time, I was guarding nuclear weapons with a loaded, with a loaded weapon with deadly force authorized in Guam. So there are so many, uh, Comfort zones, you know, I lost the comfort zone of my nuclear family, lost the comfort zone of of a community of of members that look like me um, to to then be in an environment of uncertainty. I'd never been to Paris Island. It only heard stories about it. And then, you know, one challenge after another. But I think what happens is, is you end up if you if you break that threshold enough times. And literally for 10 years as a Marine, I found myself challenge after challenge. It stretched me in ways that you ultimately make peace with the feelings of uncertainty. And you just say, oh, yeah, this goes along with it. The first time you do it, it panics. But after multiple times of stretching and moving out of your comfort zone, you start. okay, there is a there's a certain pathway to this that you become accustomed to quite comfortable with as it accompanies you, because then, you know, on the other side of this is greater capacity, whether it's greater capacity emotionally or empathy or gratitude. You just end up, or even in my physical body, breaking thresholds uh, of strength and stamina. And so, you know, you just, for me, I think you just end up becoming this sort of um, nomad in your own world. It's like, okay, I'm craving the next challenge now to to get to the next threshold of growth in my own life. So. That's what came up for me is how did I get on this journey? And I remember it was the one choice that started Pandora's box of breaking comfort zones over and over again in my life. I love this. The look of surprise on Belinda's face. Uh, what? <laughs> just, what? He wasn't expecting this story. So, I mean, I think maybe. Well, one, I just I love that phrase to be a nomad in your own world. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack that a little bit more? And, you know, and just for people who don't know who you are, you, you know, you're threading in li- little bits here. So describe what that means. Like, who are you as a nomad and what is, what have been the worlds that you've then traversed? Oh my gosh. How much time do we have Omar? You know, so you, for me, my origin story begins in East Baltimore. So, I'm the product of the 80s, the crack epidemic in inner cities across America, and having escaped that to then move out of the city. So, you know, so now I'm in the Marine Corps, but now I'm in Guam. My first roommate is a white kid from Danville, Indiana. I had never seen Copenhagen before, didn't know what a spittoon was, did not like country music, 
And now all of a sudden we're having a cultural exchange. So when I say that I felt like I feel like I'm a bit of a nomad is because once I left home, once the first comfort zone was breached and sort of the walls of containment that can be the 16 block radius of kids that live in urban America. Once that threshold was crossed and I'm out in the world, as it were, I have never felt because of the experiences that you have. Omar, you probably experienced some of this when you left Los Angeles the first time and went to school and you at Harvard and things are going on. And your world just gets so expanded that even if and, and I did, I desired to go back to my comfort zone and had gone back to Baltimore. And I was like, man, maybe I only do four years and I'll come back to Baltimore and raise my kids like everybody else. But then unbeknownst to me, I had grown. My capacity had expanded, my intellectual capacity, my cultural capacity. I mean, by by leaving, I couldn't necessarily go home again. And so then the only way forward was to be a nomad and to keep this journey of discovery and adventure and pressing into mystery and not allowing. And and I think for me, sometimes I don't know how you feel about it, but sometimes I can start feeling like I'm getting too comfortable and I'll immediately look for a new challenge, like whether it's to take some courses or audit a class, I have to keep moving forward. So in that sense, I've felt a bit like a nomad because I haven't necessarily fit in my cultural comfort zone anymore because some of those that I grew up with in Baltimore have not had the experience or the grace on their life of favor to do some of the things that I've been able to do so or experience. And so I don't really fit with them. So you just have to keep moving. And I found myself on the move throughout the last 56 years. I mean, I'm 56. So I've been on the move since I was, what, 16. So do the math, you know. It's interesting how this 16 and a half year old Keith, I mean, that that threshold, in some ways, it wasn't entirely your choice, right? Like, it sounds like your mom kind of chose for you. Is that right? Wow. I didn't mention it, but you picked up on my mom in an act of tough love. And I don't want to be too graphic here, but in a moment of tough love on my 10th birthday, when I just turned 16, I'm becoming a senior in high school. She made it very, very plain and known to me that I would not, in her words, quote unquote, would not stay home in this house doing drugs and getting women pregnant. You're getting out of here. And that moment created urgency for me. I, it wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to stay home and figure it out, lay around and play video games, sell drugs, which she covered. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't prepared for college. Nobody had set me on that path, so I didn't have – I wasn't ready to go into higher education. So then what was available to me? For me, there was the opportunity because of my high school had an ROTC, a junior ROTC unit. So the military became very plausible for me. And I got some encouragement from a mentor that was on staff there, and the rest is history. So, yeah, there was – some urgency created by her. But, you know, I've come to realize that that was actually a gift. Didn't feel like a gift, didn't sound like a gift at the time, but it really was a gift because if if I could go back and, and look at some of the people that I was circling, that were in my community, in my circle, 
a lot of them have not made it out and some of them have succumbed to uh, a lot of what ails um, our communities of, uh, you know, our communities of color. So. And it strikes me that now part of your purpose is very much on holding space for people to stretch. And I'm curious how you found that purpose as you were stretching yourself and being learning to be a nomad as an art, you know, then how did that transition happen when you started to then shift into space holding for other people? And when did you know that that was the right, how did you know that was the right thing to do? You know, I think the purpose for my life was more discovered than it was intentionally engaged in it. I would say that it found me. I didn't find it. And as I leaned in to these new competencies that were latent within me that I didn't intentionally, I wasn't even aware of the inventory of them living inside of me. And so, you know, like I have, I was a marksmanship instructor for a number of years. I would have never known I had an aptitude for weapons in that way, living in Baltimore. But because again, so here's the discovery, here's the mystery, here's the adventure, because you break out of your comfort zone. Now there's new discoveries, new competencies you didn't even know you had. And so for me, I think being in the military, being someone that was engaged in, uh, for lack of a better word, a selfless act, you want to serve your country. Service to others was always within my heart. And so once I got out of the military ministry and that type of thing, and so it just sort of gets unpacked from there. Part of what you're sharing reminds me of he was a Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes who said a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original shape. And yeah. my sort of riff on that was sort of a heart once stretched by love never regains its original shape. I love that. The funny thing about this stuff is that once you've even stretched, how do you stretch that? Right? Like, and because then it's just now a new day and, sure. you know, 56 years old. Sure. You know, what is stretching you now? Oh, that's interesting. Um, on this professional, <laughs> the stretching in my professional life, my personal life. Um, you know, so one of the things that we're trying to wrestle with is what does it mean to do community development, community transformation in a community in Rwanda? And so we're actively moving in that way. It's stretching me beyond because obviously it's a context that I have not lived in. I don't have, I don't have any social capital that I can offer. I'm coming in as a partner with the group, but it's, it's demanding that I learn quickly cultural things. It's demanding financial terms and and real estate issues that you have that are on the global stage now. It's completely different for me. So, you know, I'm midlife. So we're breaking comfort zones. What does it mean to navigate with a woman that you've been with for 34 years and in this new season of midlife? And so there's just I'm confronted on every, you know, every level at this point. I don't feel comfortable. But I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes sense, because I've been here before. I know at some point it will normalize and the storming, as it were, will subside. 
and I will have discovered and explored and know, and and all of a sudden comfort will come with where we are, but inevitably there'll be another challenge. And so I'm excited about where I'm at and the journey that still lays in front of me. So how do you be in the unknown and the discomfort around that? I feel like there is um something juicy there that I want to unpack because I feel like more and more we're all collectively navigating personal and collective challenges around the the stretching th- into the unknown and and you've had so much practice Keith throughout your life. So how do you normalize that yeah. comfort of the unknown like what to talk us through like like in your body how does that work or in how you use your time and your energy like let's get really specific here like so i can really feel what it's like to be keith in this moment so what we're not going to do is we're not going to imagine that it's not very stressful that it's not full of anxieties and late nights early mornings and trying to Because everything in us, right, Belinda, is craving normalcy, security. So it's kind of like a countercultural thing that's going on inside your body and your mind and your emotions all at the same time. And yet I think what gives me courage and also comfort in all of that, if there can be, for for lack of a better word, there's an eye in the middle of every hurricane. There, Everything's going nuts everywhere else, but... Within that I is absolute peace and serenity in the midst of. And so for me, I think what gives me a sense of peace in the midst of obviously is my faith. I have to, for me, that's a big piece of how I can navigate in uncertain spaces. One of the scriptures calls Jesus a a good shepherd in the sense that sheep never know where they're going, which, by the way, I tell people this all the time that metaphorically, when when the Bible calls his people sheep, that is not a compliment. <laughs> sheep are dumb. They stink. No sense of natural defenses. They wander. They will walk literally off a cliff and will eat themselves to death if not for a shepherd. So he is not, it is not a compliment. And so, but at the same time, there's security because I don't know the way, but the shepherd does. I don't know where provision is going to come from, but the shepherd does. There is protection. I don't know. I'm uncertain about everything in the world, whether it be racially, whether, you know, whether I'm, you know, in America, whether I'm abroad, I know that I'm protected within the social construct of our world. And so that more than anything else, when you asked me and I was like, where does the sense of excitement and peace come from? And I'm like, ah, it comes from my faith. That's what I draw it from. And then I have a village of people that are not necessarily all faith people either, but they're all nomads in the sense that we are all trying to pass through the world with empathy and love, trying to leave the world better than we found it in the ways that we perceive it, you know, in the ways that we're gifted and graced to do it. And so within that, there's also a comfort to be able to look to your left and your right and, you know, okay, they're fellow travelers as well. That gives comfort and solace along the way as well, because we're all experiencing sort of the same things, maybe in different levels, different intense levels of, of intensity, but we're all walking the same path in that way. So my faith and then the community of nomads gives me great comfort. I like the community of nomads. I want to come back to the card for a second. 
And you described it yourself when a grapevine isn't on a trellis, it just goes anywhere. Right. And, you know, part of growth, intentional growth, let's just say, not growth that has happened to us, but growth that we actually seek out ourselves requires in some ways a certain amount of pruning, right? When you put a grapevine on a trellis, there's that sort of intentional, like, hey, I'm going to put this here. And then if your intention is to actually grow grapes, then the I, I'm not a, it's not my expertise, but I believe you prune back a certain amount. So oh, yeah. that way the fruit can kind of be whatever that sort of optimal flavor or shape or desire yep. is. Yep. And so if you kind of, we talked to us a little bit about what does pruning look like in yeah. your life and what is the fruit that you hope to grow? You know, it's, it's funny you should mention that because within, you know, agriculture, there's this sense that not only do you prune things that may be dying on a, on a branch or a vine, I'm sorry, there's the sense that you prune fruitful branches and vines so that they would be so that maximum fruit and flavor can be attained. And so I guess all of us at some point, I call it, are going to go under the knife. Something is going to get cut away so that something greater can come forth in our lives. And I think in our approach to security and holding on to our comfort zones, we want to hold on to what we have and not release it for the promise of something greater. And it never works that way. So whether it be relationships, that have to some relationships like yours and I have gone on now over a decade. And so it's portable, it's transferable, but not all relationships are. Some of them are just seasonal or purposeful that for once the purpose is done, the relationship is done. And we've got to be willing to allow um, just like we want good things coming into our life. We have to also allow things to leave. And that's very difficult because all of us want new we want to grow. We want to go to the next level. And I'm like, yeah, in order to go to the next level, it means you're leaving somewhere. You're leaving people. You're leaving the known behind in order to get to this other thing that you faith filled, believe exists. And that is greater than what you already have. But going under the knife, brother, that's a difficult. It hurts. When I left L.A. and left you and left all of that, that hurt. And it it, it stung for a while. But at the same time, there were new discoveries along the way that sort of medicated and created a salve for your heart because you're meeting new. You're, now you have new relationships and new investments to make as well. That sort of helps medicate along the way. How do you know when it's time to let it go? Like in the case of, you know, you leaving L.A. Yeah. And where in Oregon are you? I'm in, I'm just outside Portland in a, in a city called Gresham, a suburb of Portland called Gresham. Okay. I'm kind of the midpoint in Mount Shasta between the Bay Area and Portland. Oh yeah. I know exactly that area. We've, during, when we first got to Oregon, we would drive back and forth and we have family of five and we're broke. We would drive down the shed, down to California and go through Shasta all the time, obviously. Yeah. How do you know? You know, for me, sometimes one of the key indicators, and I think, you know, this this is not necessarily universal for everybody. I think for me, when I lose passion, when I lose vision, 
when I'm starting to lose interest, my energies are waning. I'm used, I usually wake up, my eyes open, ready to go. Let's tackle, let's build, let's get it done. And if I wake up and I become over a season of time, then that means now everybody has their moments, right? You got good days and bad days, but I'm talking about over a sustained period of time where there, I can't find contentment where we are. It's usually an indicator that there's an invitation for me to journey again. And that's been the case. You know, unfortunately, I married a woman that has the sense of adventure about her because that's been the case since I was a kid. We've journeyed and wandered to the next place. Even when, you know, I was young, we would wander the city looking for the next place to live that was rent appropriate at the time, you know. So for me, that wandering sense, that sense of discontentment, there's something more. I was made for something more. Once I've mastered a thing, I immediately get bored. If I master it, it's time to do something else. So those are all some of the sort of lights that come up on the dashboard for me. There'll be some discontentment. Uh, I'm, I've traveled the known too much. Need something else to challenge me. So those are usually indicators to start looking for what's next. So what's the most difficult thing you've proved? Mm. That's a great question. The most difficult thing to prune for me are relationships. And because I love people and you want to hold on to people. And I've found, as probably you have found, there's only a small core, a small cohort of people that you're going to take through every season of your life. And you've got to get good at saying goodbye or I'll see you later. Um, so you for me, an example of like, what was that setup or circumstance? As early and as often as the guys that I spent significant moments of pain, excitement and joy in the military where you're after two or three years, you're leaving to go to another place and you have to say goodbye to these new guys and then figure out what's next. What's the, what's the next challenge in the next place? It was hard leaving Los Angeles and leaving a predominantly black and brown community to come to Portland, which is notoriously one of the whitest cities in America to lead and shepherd a predominantly white conservative evangelical church with a friend of mine. And so that was a challenge and really very difficult as a black man to leave Los Angeles and that community to do that thing. So it, that was hard, really difficult, more than I think the church knows and more than I've even spoken about publicly. That really was difficult and traumatic for me in my heart because that was a community I felt like was underserved. In, in every way, spiritually as well. And so I felt like we were a part of the solution there. But at the same time, I knew that our journey was taking us someplace else. How do you know when it's right to say yes to growth? One of the things that I've been kind of playing with for myself is there are times when I feel like I um, inherited some ancestral burdens around like life needs to be really hard you need to work your ass off for every single thing you have you know I'm a I'm an immigrant you know came from Taiwan my whole family that's like part of the um our DNA is effort 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 and one of the things that I'm learning in this season of my life and moving forward is that can't be 
there can be another way where there is more ease, there's more softness, there's more grace. And so I'm learning for myself how to be discerning around my programming and the new pathways that I want to create for my lineage uh, through my own personal decisions. And so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you navigate the yes and the no, because, you know, for all of us, it's different what that, what, why we do that, why we say yes, why we say no. Sometimes I find the, the challenge is a little bit of a addiction, you know, like, oh, actually, no, I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> like that's now I'm not supposed to do that cycle again. Yes. Um, so how does, how does all that work for you? What is the, like, the edge? Of this. I, th- I think I have a, a tendency uh, for spontaneity and adventure and change. You know, this, you know, I've been, I'm a classic early adopter. So like change. Yeah, let's go do it. What is the change? Tell me about it on the way kind of thing. But for me, I think what's been a governor in my life is my wife um, having having her to ask. My wife is very pragmatic where I'm very visionary. And so that's been really helpful to help me to say no. I don't know that I have a great mechanism for it other than the fact that we have to be in agreement. The welfare of our family at, at earlier stages was our children. We have adult children now. But that was a key consideration as to is this an adventure we're going to take? Because there's a calculation to do. Because with every one of these moves comes a cost. There's a cost benefit ratio involved with this. And so at certain points, we were willing to take a stretch, i.e. move from Southern California to the rainy Northwest with two small children, 16 months apart. So that was an adventure that we basically said, yep, we need to leave the known and to go to a land that we will soon discover, which is the land of the Oregon Ducks, which we had no reference point for, no understanding of. And we were met. The city was wide open and we had a favorable run of about 13 years. But I think the agreement that we have to have and the conversation. So like I'm a verbal processor. So I like to talk it out and so that I can see it. If I can get it out of my head, then I can see this journey that we're about to take. And sometimes the stretch, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze in some ways. It was, you know, it was like, yeah, we could do it. But should we? It's not enough juice for the whole family or the cost again, the sacrifice involved allowed me to say no. But I think each one of those has to be taken, you know, it has to be taken at face value and there has to be a robust conversation. Even if you're single, like somebody might be listening to singles, like, well, I don't have a wife. But you have a community, you have people around you that can help you navigate what's best. And sometimes, you know, Omar, there's been times where all of the factors said no, and we still said yes and went. Our first church had a moral failure in it. It had gone from 500 people to 30, and we said yes. <laughs> so talk about adventure and surprises along the way. Yeah. So use a great term, cultural capacity, a few times. And you have uniquely navigated different worlds as a black man leading a white church in a time in our cultural history with Black Lives Matter to Donald Trump to Kanye West and whatever he's saying lately. What does reconciliation look like 
in our country, in our world? What cultural capacity do we as human beings need to grow? What is that? What comfort zone are we in and where do we need to actually go to really, you know, where we started this conversation, be able to say, I love you. Yeah. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that since Michael Brown. I don't know if you remember Omar, but Michael Brown, his murder started a journey of mine that culminated in the riots that were going on in L.A. right after Michael Brown and, and the discovery and, and reading and um, educating myself and engaging in reconciliation. But to be honest with you, one of the greatest examples illustrated to me has been the work that we do in Rwanda. You remember in 1994, they suffered a genocide that killed a million people in 90 days. And it wasn't an invading army that did that. That was neighbors killing neighbor, friend, co-worker. So the, the populace turned on itself through years of colonial influence and, and, you know, all of the things that happened through our attempts to control and exert control over other human beings. So they made they created these factions within the society, but they made it back. Rwanda is a country that should not exist. And yet reconciliation, I think the difference, and I'll clarify what I mean. I think the difference between Rwanda and South Africa and South Africa and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid omitted justice from their process. And in Rwanda, restorative justice was necessary in order for them to put their community back together. But here's what I find. What is lacking in our cultural capacity is the capacity to have empathy, to feel with another. Like, okay, got you. You're not black. You're not Asian. You're not whatever. You're not gender. You know, if it's me too, if it's LGBTQ, whatever it is, okay, that's not you. But can you feel with me? Can you have empathy? Can you have concern for me? And although we don't come about things the same way, allowing that to pervade in our society again will allow us to convene tables where opposing parties politically, ideologically can come together religiously, can be at a table for human flourishing, not necessarily the flourishing of their ideas as much as we flourish together. And so for me, reconciliation looks like passing through the world trying to bring opposing parties, people, groups, families to a table where reconciliation and not retribution or vindication is is the prize. So, and I think if Rwanda could figure it out and be one of the most stable, secure African countries on the continent, after a genocide of a million people, I think we could figure out our racial divide and all the other divides that we have in our country if we could embrace love and empathy for one another. So. Yeah. Can you, um, Keith, unpack for yourself? How do you feel another that is vastly different from you? How, how do you feel that? How does one practice or stretch that muscle to do that? And just yeah. from your own personal practice, I'd love to hear that. I mean, one of the things that my wife and I try to practice with each other because we were having such difficulty early in our marriage is this idea of listening for understanding and not agreement. 
that I don't have to agree with your conclusions. But what I try to do in these conversations is I try to find I'm trying to understand this individual. I try to ask a different question rather than saying what's wrong with you, which becomes um, which makes me stand outside from you, point the finger at you. Something is wrong. I'm better than you sort of um, paradigm sets up rather than that. Asking the question I do is what happened to you? What may so case in point, I kept asking over and over again through the Donald Trump years after I was frustrated and beat my head against the wall of some of the things he might have said. And I would ask the question, I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what his family of origin story is. I wonder how his father treated him. I wonder what the nuclear family that he was raised in was like. And I hadn't read any autobiographical uh, biographical material on him or hadn't done any research on him. But so those kind of questions are different questions and they lead to a heart of concern for another person. I'm trying to understand you, not not so much the issue, trying to understand you as a human being and where you're coming from. And once that once another human being recognizes that there's concern, there's love or at least an attempt to. Then some of the walls, they don't come down. Come on, let's, we don't live in, in a fantasy world. The walls don't come tumbling down, but they do start the guards, the false, what I call false security systems start standing down a little bit and we can begin to start having real dialogue that is heart to heart rather than issue to issue as human being to human being. And then from that ground, we can begin to tackle the the issues of the day, the social ills, whatever it is that that ails collectively. I love that heart to heart, not issue to issue. So it's just we're winding down this conversation. Is there any question that we have not asked that you would like to answer? Or are there any questions that you have of us? What's your hope for the podcast? I didn't. Like for this episode or the episodes that you you put out, what what's your greatest hope? What are you putting into the world? What do you hope to add to the conversation that people are having? You know, the way we describe the podcast is this listening to the call of the wild. And so part of what we're doing is we feel like we're antennas a little bit. And what are these stories of humanity? that aren't always being heard and right. Cause as you just said, like most people jump issue to issue, they don't jump heart to heart or sometimes people who are sort of heart to heart, they don't care about anybody else. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, they stop at self care and not, and they don't move to care for anyone else. And, you know, so for us, it feels like we're getting to hear these frontline emergent stories and practices that move us from the sort of supremacy of the mind logic if then and into this greater humanity and heart love it i appreciate that i think what i would add to what omar shared is i think we're in this interesting time like humans in relationship to earth, the mother earth, where we don't have the time to wait for, you know, how we want to live our life. 
how do we want to be in relationship to each other? How do we want to relate to the earth? You know, it feels like this is a critical, critical time to invite the new possibilities that clearly the old, the old models are not, they're, they're dying. And so I feel like what we want to do is accelerate the possibility for the greatest embodiment of humanity. And I think that comes from real talk, real life examples of how are, are each of us navigating this liminal space that we're in quickly. <laughs> yeah. And so hearing people hearing your story when they're going through discomfort, extreme discomfort in their life, maybe that inspires them to be a little bit more courageous and not wait mm. until it's too late for life to then choose for you because you didn't choose yourself. And I think there's a bottleneck right now of like, I don't know what to do in the face of all this stuff. And I think what Omar and Arlene are the artists and, and, and our team, we're trying to shepherd people to, Hey, let's cross the bridge. We don't know what's on the other side. Right. But we know that where we are right now is not going to work. Right. Let's not be stuck at this bottleneck. And I think that's my greatest fear is that this is all, you know, we just end up here and we don't move enough, you know, collectively. I have faith and trust in whatever is going to happen is going to happen. My greatest hope is that there's more and more of us that cross that bridge and start creating from the space of the unknown. The Love. You know, like that, that. Like, let's build the the new way now and leave the old behind, you know? I get it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing and thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts in the dialogue with you. Well, and I I, I love that we can sort of just span the, the, the deeply personal to sort of, I think, what's the deeply urgent mm. and how do we. You know, and I think the work that you're doing in Rwanda and the example that you gave of like a million people killed in 90 days. And this was like not an invading country. These were neighbors. Right. And to hear what that restorative justice looks like is just, you know, it's an important story to hear. So thank you. Um, I would love to take you with me so that you could visit a reconciliation village with me where perpetrator and survivors live side by side in community now. It's incredible. Let's do it. And is there, and is there anything, you know, when listeners hear your story, Keith, that you would like um, them to know in terms of support that they could give for, for your work? You know, I think as much as, as all of us would need, Encouragement. If anybody runs across the work that we do, just offer an encouraging word because I think all of us are laboring in our own ways to change the world for the better. And the more that we as travelers encourage and inspire one another, you know, somebody runs across something on social media or one of our platforms, it, it just would be good. Leave, leave something positive and encouraging that will be, that will help me and my team to keep leaning into some difficult waters at times. Amen. Yes. 